Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 17, Karen is a Planner, recorded on February 5th, 2014. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So you and I, you came to New York recently, and we went to the Jewish Museum, which was a new-to-me museum. I don't know. Have you ever been there before? Vaguely in the past. I think I have once. Uh, and we saw two exhibits, which were really interesting. We saw the Chagall exhibit, and we saw the Art Spiegelman um, comic exhibit. I actually uh, didn't expect to like the Spiegelman as much as I did, but the Chagall is what we went for, so let's talk about that. No, I want to know why you liked the Spiegelman more than you thought you would. Because I actually took the time to sit and look closely at the words. I think I'm a words person as much as I am a visual person. And it just uh, reached me. And then I hadn't realized that there are things that were part of daily life, like the, what are those kids? The Oh, the garbage pail kids. Garbage pail kids and things. And I had never th- realized that it was Art Spiegelman. Well, it's interesting because I had never... Um... I mean, you read like Mad Magazine and you think of like comics, you know, and like I have some vague awareness that some comics are used uh, in political ways and, you know, in subversive ways and stuff like that. But it really, that exhibit really hit home for me how much he was using his art to create, uh, you know, messages and to really tell stories. Yeah, I think uh, graphic novels uh, are a nice way of saying comics. I mean, yeah. Many comics can be graphic novels. Okay, so then let's talk about Chagall. Well, I thought uh, your blog post today was right on when you talked about being struck by how he used uh, story. And actually, I thought about it as a kind of journaling. I don't think all art is journaling, but I thought in his particular case, it, it was very clear that he was using it Uh, as a personal journal also. Oh, yeah, because I felt like one of the things about seeing so much of his work collected was that you saw he was working out the same question over and over across multiple paintings, you know. A lot of it, there's stuff about his father. You could see when his wife passed, there was a huge amount of stuff about their romance and whether it was okay to move on. And, you know, I I think working your feelings out through art is kind of a really interesting thing to do. Now, it could be partly the way the show was curated. They emphasized chronology, and the signs were very much about uh, back and forth between his life and then what you were seeing in the painting. So it could be the curator's choice to focus it like that. But I did, I liked the way you spun off from that into your own art, and that you, you realized that you wanted to put more story behind your images. Well, just as a side note about curation in general, like I think one of the reasons to go to a museum, besides the fact that art has a different impact in person, just based on like scale and texture and all sorts of stuff like that. But it's also that I think curators are really interesting. Um, it's, I mean, it's an interesting job because you, they do force a perspective into anything that they show you. And I think it's like, it's like having somebody guide you or lead you. And so certainly you could see a Chagall exhibit in like 50 different, you know, cities by 50 different curators and you'd have it come away with a different impression. But that's kind of magical, isn't it? So I was glad to share it with you. Anyway, it was the most cold day ever. So I was not glad to, to walk through the streets of New York with you. I will say that. Thank you. <laughs> the company kept me warm, Mom. What there you I go. Say? I was hoping Actually, it was the intellectual stimulation, but okay. <laughs> Actually, you're not very good at keeping me warm, so I'll just complain some more. But somebody who is keeping warm in California. Jealous. I know. Totally jealous is our guest today, Karen Grunberg. And I tried to make her feel bad about being a Californian by saying, ha-ha, you have no water. But then she told me that it rained like two days ago so now I just have to be stuck with the fact that she gets to live in sunny California (laughs) and I hate her for that anyway so Karen besides living in California she is a wife and a mom of two boys and she works with computers during the day and plays with paint at night and that's not really a full explanation of everything that you do Karen you're kind of a crazy amazing multitasker you're like a superwoman you sort of do it all except for cooking and cleaning (laughs) those are highly overrated 
Well, that's my opinion too. So, thankfully, my <laughs> okay. husband feels the same way. Then it's the perfect match, right? Yes. Okay, so let's start with your day job, which I think is absolutely fascinating, which is you work for Google and specifically you work on the browser Chrome. That's right. Yes. I've worked at Google for a long time, so I've, I've worked on different projects, but my current product is Chrome. I've been working on Chrome for almost five years, I guess. Long time. That's how long Chrome has been around, right? Yes, I started working on it before it launched. That's exciting. Yes, it was fun. So how did you get into the world of computers? Uh, well, it's interesting. I have always wanted to do programming since probably third grade, <laughs> so a really long time. And I grew up in Turkey. Uh, it had been my single biggest goal in life to come to America and to study computers. At the time in Turkey, there didn't really there wasn't a lot of good universities that taught computer science. Now there are, but back then there weren't. And um, and so I came here to Pittsburgh uh, to study computer science. And that's what I did. And I've been doing that ever since. I worked actually in New York for about eight years at Goldman Sachs as a programmer as well. That's interesting because I don't think of Goldman Sachs as needing programmers. Well, every company needs programmers, apparently. <laughs> and I, and I, did all their, I did all their proprietary stuff. So everything that they use to do their trading is written by their uh, own employees. Yeah. That's interesting. It's actually a good place to work for a programmer. It's a, they treat you well. Or they did back then. This was in the 90s. <laughs> Well, Google treats you very well. Yes, they do. They do. I actually did a one-year stunt in between as Teach for America as a teacher in the Bronx, but then I went back to my programming roots. And uh, and yes, I've been at Google for a long time, and I really love it. It's a great, uh, great company. They treat their they treat their people well. All the people are really good people who are really into what they're doing and trying to do the best of what they can, which is really nice to work with. Teach for America in the Bronx. That must have been very interesting. Was it a frustrating year or did you feel like you had an impact? It was the most challenging year of my life, which is to say a lot. Um, I wanted to do it desperately. I thought it was the most life-changing thing ever. I actually, during training, we did training in Fordham University. Um, so we taught locally there. And I remember calling my husband, who I had just gotten married, and I called him and I said, I don't know why everybody in the world doesn't do this. This is the most amazing thing and everybody should be doing this. This is how we change the world. Because I believe education, especially in the US, could use a lot more help. Um, and then I started doing it and it was really, really, really challenging. I mean, really challenging. I mean, I worked, I used to work 20 hour days at Goldman and this was nothing compared to what I experienced as a teacher. I, I have the utmost respect for teachers. It's a very tough job. And I would cry in the morning before the class came in. I would cry afterwards when they all left. Uh, there was much crying. There was no sleeping. There was a lot of homework and grading and preparing for lessons that I never got to deliver because my kids wouldn't be quiet. So it was tough. Wow. So were you crying out because it was a, like the classes were difficult to control or because what you were seeing was upsetting you? It was mostly because I think I mean, and now that I can look at it 10 years later, um, I think it was my, I, it was such an ideal for me to get to do this. I felt like it was such a privilege and it was so important and I wanted to really do a good job. Most people do Teach for America right out of college, so they would do it in their early 20s. I was in my 30s when I did it. I was in a different place in my life and I, I felt like this was really important. So it, it was not acceptable to me to mess it up. And mm. I felt like every day that I didn't deliver the lessons that I had planned or I couldn't get the kids to be quiet, I just was really letting myself down or what I wanted it to be. So, which is why I ended up walking away from it. It was really because I couldn't meet my own expectations and it really frustrated me and made it very challenging. So. Wow. Although I will say like reading your blog and seeing how you set out goals for yourself every year. I mean, you're, you're very hard on yourself. I feel like. I, I am. I think that part of why I've managed to make it to America and get my citizenship and all these things I've wanted is, is because I, I do that, you know? So there's, it's a two Sunday coin like everything else. So then let's talk about, uh, because it's so interesting because you're incredibly creative and you're very prolific in your creativity and yet you're incredibly disciplined, which I suppose is probably why you're prolific, but you've had a large creative evolution over the years of sort of like what you've done and where you're going and all that kind of stuff. Will you sort of take us through your creative journey? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I always get frustrated when I read, um, when I read about artists and in their blurb, it says like, I've always done art. So this is what I've always, you know, find myself doing, even though I was, uh, you know, doing this totally different job for 20 years. It's what I've always been. Um, because I feel like, it makes people think that that's how you have to be to be able to be 
an artist. Like it better be something you've always wanted to do or you always did. Um, I don't, not that I'm an artist, but that, that feels limiting to me. So um, for me, I went back and forth. I've always loved art. My mom was relatively artistic. And I, had you talked to me in elementary school, I would have said, I want to grow up and go to Italy and restore paintings with computers because I knew I could not draw. Uh, so there's no way I was restoring with my hands. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Uh, so that's what all, even all my middle school teachers probably would say, oh, Karen is living in Italy, right? That's what you wanted. So I, uh, but that never happened. But even, I've always loved art. So even when I went to college and I studied programming, I still had a minor in art and I took a lot of art classes, the design classes and whatever I could get my hands on. That's when I learned Photoshop back in 1992, a long time ago. Which and, is, by the way, such a great mixture of computers and yes, art. Yes, I was very thrilled to find it. This was before the internet, so a long time ago. Um, so I, but you know, I dabbled in it here and there, but I was never drawing. It was never by hand. I didn't think I could. And, um, and I, that went on for a very long time. I lived in New York for years and never really did anything. I wrote, but I didn't draw. And then I finally started scrapbooking right when I was pregnant, actually. Um, a friend of mine did invitations for my, um, I always forget what you call that, when you have a baby shower, that's what it's called, baby shower. And um, she showed them to me and I was like, how did you do that? And she took me to my first scrapbooking store, which was a very big mistake. <laughs> uh, it was like the beginning of the end. Um, so I started pretty much scrapbooking nonstop. I started doing uh, my cross-country trip at the time. I had no children and then my kids came and I started with that. And, um, and then it just grew more and more and more. I moved up to San Francisco and I had a community online of um, a kit club that I was really fond of and it was very talkative. And, and then I discovered two peas and it just next thing I knew I was scrapping all the time and it became this obsession to get on a team, of course, which apparently comes soon after. Um, so I was on the kit clubs team, um, design team. And then eventually I got invited to a design team, which was really nice for a manufacturer. This was, um, the girls papery, which was Margie's team. Oh, nice. Um, and then it just kind of took off from there. I'm not really sure how these things work. And I think what actually happened in between that really shifted everything for me was I decided at one point that I wanted to do a layout a day, um, just for fun. There was no reason. And I woke up one morning and said, okay, for the month of May, that's what I'm going to do. And I woke up every morning and I made a page um, for 30 days. It, I wasn't even doing it as part of Lane's class. It just on my own. And in those 30 days, or I was 31, I guess, my entire scrapbooking shifted. Like my style kind of emerged on its own. I realized what I liked and what I wanted to do. And once I did that, everything I created after I was relatively consistent and looked like Karen. Whatever that you know, is. as a total side note, I back in the old, old days of two peas, there was a woman named Marcy something or other who did who started the whole layout a day idea. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing that challenge. And it is amazing how much having to create every single day that that scrapbook page you do you have to find your style because you just don't have the time to sort of screw around. Right. Exactly that. You know, you just figure I'm going to do it. So I'm going to I'm going to do it as quickly and efficiently and as joyfully as I can. And I don't have four hours to waste on which, which little embellishment I'm going to stick here. So, yeah, which is generally how it goes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I did that and that actually ended up having the biggest impact for scrapbooking kind of career wise for me. I ended up getting on a bunch of design teams on and off. I actually felt more confident too. I was telling this to somebody the other day that what I did is after I finished my layout a day, I emailed people and I would like, I would email, um, October afternoon. And I would just say, Hey, you know, here's a bunch of layouts. I just designed using your stuff. If you're looking for uh, a guest designer, I'd be happy to do it. And, uh, and it worked much better than I thought, you know, some people said, yes, we would love to have you as a guest designer. And some people said, why don't you just join our team? You know, it was really, wow. yeah, it was really quite extreme. And it's kind of things we don't normally do, but you know, when you've actually used their stuff and you send them layouts, they get to see exactly how you would use it. So well, it's also a great example of knowing what you want and going after it, right. you know, and sometimes when you ask for what you want, you actually get it. That's right. And actually, it was interesting because I did it afterwards. So I was able to look at all my pages and say, these are the products I obviously like using, right? Because I'd used them on my own and enough of my own pages, not for competition, not for a call. It was really just because I like them. So it's easy for me to look at it and say, look, it's obvious to me I like October afternoon because I've used it in five of my 30 layouts for the month. So yeah. it, it allowed me to kind of recognize that and not have to do it the other way around, which is how we often do it. So that was good. 
So then because after that, I was going to say the one thing about being on a manufacturer design team is if you don't love the product, you're in big trouble. Yes, I've unfortunately had that experience too. But you know, <laughs> live, you learn. It's um, and that's one of the other things I often tell people is that even if it sounds like, even if it sounds prestigious or you know other people will envy it, it's important for you to realize if it's right for you because there are products that I love but I can't ever use and. Even if other people will think it's great to work for that company, I need to make the choice to not do that. And uh, sometimes you have to go through it to realize it. But I've, you know, I've cried making layouts too, and and uh, I feel like that's a stupid way to use your hobby time, personally. Yeah, um, you should never. Well, have because to I, I like that thing that you said about you create it with you know efficiency, but there's joy, and I do think that like creating like, should be a joyful experience. I agree wholeheartedly. So. So that's been my scrap experience. I, I've now sort of settled into the um, routine. I have, I've been on two teams for quite some time now for both my mind's eye and, and my road. And I'm kind of, that's all I do. And I'm not reaching out for anything else. I, I scrap much less often, partly your fault, Julie, uh, <laughs> I will say. So, uh, so back when I did this layout a day, which was about three years ago now, I think, I also did for one month, I did art journaling. Um, I want, I had this art journal that I had started literally like four or five years before that. And I kept saying, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to sit down and actually complete an entire art journal. So I did that for a month. And, um, and even though I finished it, I just felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what art journaling meant. I didn't know how to do it. And it annoyed me that I just couldn't kind of figure it out. So the year after I pretty much threw myself into it and between you and Christy Tomlinson, whose class I took, I unleashed an entire world of art journaling. It was insane. It was like I started doing it every day and I I I couldn't find anything else I wanted to do. It just took over for me and I really love it and I still do it now more than anything else and all my projects for this year, probably all the ones from last year are more art journaling related than um than scrapbooking ever was. So so that's what I do now, basically. I you just know, it's, I was going to say it's really interesting because, you know, you were saying like you attacked art journaling because you didn't understand how to do it. I actually feel like I came very much from the same spot when I first started art journaling, which is I didn't get it. I couldn't figure out right. how people were like making these things and why it worked and blah, blah, blah. And I think, again, like the layout a day or anything else, there is really something about the daily action of just doing it, doing it, doing it. You just bang your head against the wall until one day the wall sort of falls down. Yes, that's exactly actually what happened for me one day I had like a slightly different idea and I shifted the way I did it and it was completely it went from like not working at all to oh I got it you know it was literally overnight it was weird but but that's also one of the things which is I think people are always looking for the like hey tell me how this works and the problem is nobody's method or way in can actually be your method or your way in you can learn things from lots of people and you can find people who think similarly to you right. but you really have to find your way in to unlock that door fully I totally agree and I think that it doesn't become really enjoyable for you until you do that anyway because it doesn't feel authentic like I'm not one of those people that takes classes where you copy somebody else's work because I know that when I take home it feels like oh it's this person's work in my house as opposed to I did this so for me that was never enjoyable it's enjoyable to learn techniques and tricks and you know how to use a particular type of paint but it's not enjoyable to copy somebody else's exact page. I 100% agree. And like one of the things that I always say to my students is I say, I do not want you to go home with anything that looks remotely like what I do. I want you to embrace whatever your personal style is, you know, the way that the brush feels in your hand, the way that you draw, the way that you whatever, that's what you need to chase. But that's when it's joyful because that's when it feels like a piece of you is on paper. Yes. And mom, were you going to say something? And well, I, I was cut just going to say the, la uh, the way you're describing the process where just one day it, it works for you. It sounds a little bit like learning to ride a bike and you can't do it and you can't do it and you can't do it. And then all of a sudden it works. And I'll take your word for it because I don't know how to ride a bike. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what I was going to say funny. is one of the things that stops you from learning is fear. Yes. You know, oh, I'm going to fall. And I think there may be an element of that also when you're trying to figure out how to make, uh, let's say, art journaling work for you is you're afraid that you'll do a bad page so you don't do any page. I think that's very, very accurate. And I think a lot of times people even more so are afraid to post their bad pages so, you know, they won't share and, mm -hmm. and they just kind of stop themselves from doing it at all. I think one of the advantages I have is that I've never looked at any of this as my lifeline. It's 
it's more like what I consider my fun and my enjoyable time and not what I make a living out of because I have a job maybe. It's not been my identity. So I'm never embarrassed to share early and ugly work. You know, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't feel like I need to have it be perfect in any way. And I also kind of know it'll never be perfect because I don't believe there's such a thing. Um, so I don't worry about looking bad. I'll also say I think people are much kinder than we sort of give them credit for because yeah. I have often been shocked when I post something that I think is hideous. Right. And then people immediately come in and say, no, no, no. You know, I see beauty in that. And it happens to me where I can see it with other people. Like a student will be like, I hate this, I hate this. And I will literally look at it and think this person is insane. What they have done is so unbelievably gorgeous. Right. You know, but again, it's that whole thing of you have this expectation of what you want it to be. And when it isn't that, somehow you can't accept it for what it is. You just keep thinking of what it isn't. That's right. Because well, how you how what you wanted didn't translate properly for you, right? That's really yes. what it comes because, you know, I mean, even even art in a museum, right? I'm I'm not a fan of Picasso. I can understand him and I, I, I like his black and whites, but I don't really like his art. Clearly, that's not true for him in general, right? People adore him and worship him and he sells for quite a lot of money. So um, so it just goes to show you that taste is is a part of art and will always be so. I think that's true. It's like the one of the things that I uh, love, which I recently taught a workshop for Jenny Doe, and she's, there's another artist, maybe it was Jennifer Mercedes, who basically said to her um, this line, which is the question of like, is my piece done? Is my art done? And the answer is, only you know when you need to poop. Like nobody <laughs> can right. say to you, you know, hey, you need to poop right now. Like, you, so the same is true about your art. Like, I only you can know: is it done? Do you like it? And you have to not let that sort of court of public opinion, you know, get you. It's seductive, but you have to stay away. I, I totally agree with that. Anyway, I just want to get back to one thing with, that you're talking about about scrapbooking less and doing more art journaling and stuff. Now, I know you do Project Life also. I do. I do it digitally this year, though. I'm oh, really? It. How's yeah, that I've, change been? I've been, you know, I've been doing it for a few years now, and every year I change a little bit. The first year I did, um, I did something that I thought was really fun. I called it like the Saver Project because my word that year was Saver, and um, and I did it with um. Um, I did kind of like little mini, mini scrapbooking pages. So instead of doing like a weekly six, four by six photos, which I absolutely don't like, I don't like large photos. So four by six to me is too large. Um, I actually did like four by six scrapbooking cards. And then on there I would put my little pictures and I would journal. So it would be like mini layouts. Uh, and that was really fun, but it was really time consuming. And I don't like things that I have to do weekly that are really time consuming unless I'm really enjoying them or learning something new, which I wasn't in this case. So I did that for a year and it was not super great. And then last year I tried to do the little pocket pages, like nine, nine by nine or whatever they're called, like the nine page, the nine pocket pages. And uh, that was easier, but it was still a lot of printing. I hate printing photos. I will say like, I just don't like to do them. I live on my blog and I live on the computer, so I don't feel the need to have pages printed out. Uh, so just printing the photos out just so I could put them in the pockets didn't work for me. So finally this year I decided I'm going to do it all digitally and then at the end of the year I will order a blur book or whatever brand name I use. Um, and then that'll be my book and the kids can look at it and I will scan, you know, any ephemera I would be using, I'm just going to scan it in and it'll be there or I'll take pictures of the ephemera. And I'm fine with that and so far it's been going really well. I like the flexibility digital gives me in that I can move stuff around um, and make my photos weird sizes and not have to worry about having pockets that can accommodate them. Yeah, I found because I'm playing catch up with Project Life right now that I'm definitely doing a ton of stuff digitally and printing it out to put it in the pockets because it's just so much faster since you're already editing the photo to like throw the text down, throw the date on, you know, right. whatever else. I like the concept of it still, and my kids love looking through the albums. I love looking through the albums, so I think it's a wonderful concept, but it is incredibly time-consuming, and since I do like a bazillion other projects, I don't feel like it's, it's worthy to take the time to do it manually for me. I think it's one of the great lies. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to accuse some people of lying. When people are like, oh, it only takes me half an hour or an hour to do my project life for the week. I'm always like, how? How is that humanly possible that that's the amount of time that it takes you? You've got to like choose your photos, edit them, print them out, deal with all of the like journaling, writing, ephemera. Like, I don't understand how people can do it in that little amount of time. They're probably not adding it all up the way you are. Like they're probably taking the photo printing and choosing to another time. You know, they don't include it all up. 
but yes, I agree. It's not humanly possible. If you're doing it fully digitally, it is possible to do it in probably 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, I know Kathy recently filmed herself doing it in 40 minutes. So Kathy Dilsky, she does uh, it fully digitally. So you can go watch and see, maybe you can see how she does it. But you know, if you pre, if you pre-organize your stuff, like I post on my blog every week, the pictures from that week. So I have the pictures that I think I would end up putting in Project Life. Um, kind of pre-selected already. So it just ends up being like I, I drag them into the template and then I write my writing and I'm done. So let's talk a little bit about how you decide what goes in Project Life, what gets scrapbooked, and what goes uh, in sort of towards art journaling. That's a good question. So Project Life for me is like a weekly review sort of thing. And I don't really actually adhere to the weekly, especially now that I'm doing it digitally, I'm not attached to the weekly idea. Sometimes they're pictures from this week, sometimes they're from three weeks ago, a single picture that I liked and didn't fit. Um, but it's basically mostly pictures of my kids or my life and the activities we do, things that I want to remember, things that I would not be on their own kind of worthy of a layout, if that makes any sense. Um, mm -hmm. Small things, um, but that are a part of our life that I really like. I, I rarely, I write journaling. That's one of the things I missed last year is that I didn't write enough journaling. And I actually like telling the stories of like ordinary things we did. Um, and then Scrapbook layouts, for me this year, I'm trying something new. We'll see how it all works out. But I last year, most of the year, I did 6 by 12s which is a new size for me, but I really enjoyed it and I thought it was fun. Uh, but it doesn't really give you a lot of room for journaling. So now I'm doing these weird 12 by 12 pages that are actually two 6 by 12s like cut up. Uh, and then one of the 6 by 12s is all journaling. It's like the entire page is journaling. I print it out and then I kind of mirror that with the other six by 12 where I put my pictures and I put my title and then I try to find a way to unify the page. So it's full page journaling a lot more. It might be a, an old blog post I wrote. It might be a new journaling I'm writing, um, but it's totally different. So it's very long stories is things that I want to remember um, for a long time. Connections that I make over a period of time, which Project Life doesn't really accommodate with its style right now. And then the, the art journaling is really just personal thoughts, things that I want to remember, things that I want to learn, things that are personal growth. I rarely ever put my kids in art journaling and I rarely ever use photos at all. And what do you do with your, do you, cause you, if I recall correctly, you journal on loose paper. Is that right? I, this year I'm not, but yes, normally that's my preferred cause I like to stitch and it's really hard to stitch in a notebook. Mm. Um, and it is a good question. What I do with all my loose pages, I used to do them. I used to kind of put them on a page and bind them afterwards. Um, last year I did loose pages that I was selling for the first time. So I sold a bunch of them and then the rest of them are just sitting in a drawer right now. They're really small though. They're six by six, so they don't really take up that much space. Um, How was the selling your work? Was that a emotional experience at all or it was, purely? It was bad. I wanted to do it just to try because I was curious if it would change anything. Um, and it changed sometimes. It gave me a lot more pressure. I was like, oh, it had to be really pretty or it had to be a certain way or I had to pick something unique. A lot of what I do when I'm learning is I will take somebody else's art and I'll make my version of it because I'm not selling. I don't really care. And I'll always give credit and I'll say, hey, you know, I got this idea from so-and-so and here's my version of it. But of course, when you're selling, you can't do that. So a lot of what I did was look at pictures of things that I knew I wanted to draw and then kind of make my versions of that. And, and sometimes they were really challenging or sometimes I couldn't think of an idea. By then I was already making pages every day for two and a half years. So there's a lot of pages I had already made. Um, so I wasn't really filled with ideas and I had the pressure of having to come up with a new idea every week. Um, so that part I didn't like. And sometimes I'd make a page and I'd be like, oh, no one's ever going to want to buy this, which why would I even care? I was selling them for a really low price. So, because I was selling originals and, um, so it was an interesting experience, but at the same time, you know, when people bought it, I really loved it. I've had people email me saying, you know, I had a few people who bought a few of my pieces and that felt like such an honoring, honoring thing to have. And I've had people who emailed me and said, you know, I look at your stuff in my kitchen and I love it, you know, so that's always wonderful to hear. I think it sounds lovely. I have a lot of fear around the idea of selling my work and the whole like, is it good enough kind of thing? Well, I think that like we said before, it's a matter of opinion, right? There's somebody out there who would love to have a piece of your art on their wall. And there's somebody out there who thinks your stuff is garbage. And that's just the way life is. Yes. A hat for every head, as they say. You know, Can so, I, sorry. Yeah. I, I just going back briefly to the digital project life. Have you now thought about, or have you added video? 
I haven't because I was thinking of doing the blurb. It won't really translate to the digital page. Mm -hmm. But that's a good point. I actually always wish I had more video, especially of my children, because they grow so quickly and, you know, the transient periods go away. Um, but I'm not very good about that. I should be because I do miss them. And I like watching old videos. But no, I haven't done that. Be interesting. But again, it comes down to this whole thing I have sometimes about like one of the reasons I like having the project life in the binder, which is the same as in the blur book or whatever, is having the physical object yes. that's easy to access is different somehow than having it locked in a digital file on the computer. Like, yes, yes you can see it, but it's not the same. Yes. Well, but, you know, now that we have phones and tablets, it becomes easier than it was. But absolutely. Uh, okay, I want to talk because I think this is so fascinating and it's kind of where I got the title for the podcast today, which is you do these projects every year, which we've kind of have glossed over a little bit. You've had, you know, this was the year that you did this or the month that you did this and you set out these tasks. Um, and I want to talk about two things about it, which is A, I want to talk about what your projects are for 2014 and B, sort of what that idea or how that idea of having projects sort of developed for you, why you do it and what you get out of that approach sure do you, which order do you want me to talk about whatever you want okay so I'll start by telling you how it started it actually kind of started from the layout a day I on that year and I can't remember if it was 2010 or 11 but basically that year I did a few of these month-long projects and I realized that I loved having a specific focus something that I was doing regularly enough to really see growth um, that was the same year or maybe soon after that I started learning how to sketch. I decided I wanted to learn how to draw and I sketched every day, like 365 days, um, every day because I knew that that was the only way I was even going to come remotely close to being able to draw. Um, and what I realized is that when I do it with regularity, one, it becomes much easier because it's part of my schedule and I don't have to make time for it. It's just kind of built in because I've decided ahead of time. And two, I actually see growth. And the biggest thing that happens with growth isn't that I can draw better, is that I'm less afraid of trying to draw, which is really important for me. So I would normally look at something and be like, I can't draw that in a million years. Whereas now I look and I'm like, okay, I could figure that out. You know, maybe it won't be a perfect drawing, but I'm not scared anymore. And to me, that was such a huge gain that I decided for every area of my life where I want to grow and learn, that's the approach I want to take, where I want to do it with enough regularity that the fear around it goes away. Um, so I started with those two projects and then I think 2002 probably was the first year, I can't remember, I started setting more regular projects like, you know, something for every day of the week. Um, they were not always art. You know, one year it was to do with health. I was doing a lot of exercising. So I wanted to capture kind of how I was trying to take care of my health. Um, and I had a gratitude project. So I was doing stuff around that. And then I had some art stuff. Um, this year, all my projects are art related for the most part. Uh, because I, I have things that I want to learn. So what are your projects this year? So I picked, um, this year there was two two things I wanted to focus on when I was picking. One is what's an area where I want to learn how to do something. And two, what's kind of like a personal growth that I can go along with that. So there had to be like a personal reason and an artistic reason. So I picked um, a bunch of different projects. One was writing related. I wanted to learn how to write. I, I hate my handwriting and I love watching people like write titles and things in their beautiful handwriting. I know you have a class on this, Julie. Um, so I wanted to get really, really good at that. And I decided to pick this project called, I called it Listen with Intent. Last year when I was looking at my word, I would pick um, weekly intentions around it. Uh, it was part of a book I was doing and it would say, what's your intention for this week? So I decided to kind of couple the two where I have a little little watercolor notebook where I write a title to do with listening. So let's say the first month was, or this month is right now, listen deliberately is my intent for the month. And then each week I pick something that will allow me to listen more deliberately. And it'll generally be one word or two words. And then I write that word in some kind of font or pretty handwriting. And then I draw a little sketch along with it. And it, it kind of couples as this is my intention for the week and I want to kind of keep that in mind and I'm practicing writing, if that makes any sense. It's hard to explain it. It's interesting though, because I do find sometimes that taking the time to do some fancy lettering and to really like focus on a word and draw it does right. imprint it in your brain in a different way. Absolutely. And then that's the thing is like, you know, we, we want to do things. We say we want, you know, to laugh more or to breathe more or to drink more water, whatever it is. Right. But when you take time to actually kind of capture it, it locks it in your system better, I think. 
Um, and it helped, it gave me an excuse to start, you know, figuring out what to write, right? Because one of the things with practicing letter is you got to have something to write or not as exciting. Yeah, and I will say, like, to extrapolate just for a second, like, I actually think the act of blogging has made me more creative because, again, it's emphasizing and thinking about my own creativity every day when I'm writing about it. You know what Absolutely. I mean? It sort of trickles into everything then. Absolutely. To me, it's also knowing that I'm going to put it up on my blog and share it, it gives me motivation to do it. And th for some people, I know that gives them fear of, like, it has to be so good. But for me, it's the opposite. It's like, oh, I have something to do. You know, I like it. That's why I generally assign my projects to days of the week. And I know like every Monday I post this, you know, listening with intent one. Every Tuesday I post this other one. So I have a schedule for myself that I know what's coming up when. And it helps me. Um, so that's one of my projects. Another one of my projects is called Remember This, which is a big journaling. It's more art journaling focused. This, the first one is more sketching. I use watercolors and, and hand sketching along with the lettering. The second one is more paint related. So I'll use acrylic paints and some of the oils and new stuff I bought this year, pastels. And it's all about making more typical art journal pages with notes to myself about things that I want to remember, things that I hear in podcasts that I listen to or, you know, or hear from books that I or read from books that I'm reading or whatever that I know, like, this is a good lesson for me and I need to remember this again and again and again. Um, so that one, and I, I'm taking like two classes this year that are more like I'm taking Lifebook, which is a year long class and there's weekly assignments. So I thought I can incorporate what I learned from that into my book. So it's a, a way to make sure I do the class as well. Uh, so that's one of mine. And then another one is called This I Know, um, which is a little notebook. That's actually a normal notebook. It's not a watercolor journal or any kind of fancy paper. It's a normal Moleskine uh, squared notebook I'm using uh, to learn how to doodle. I've been wanting to learn how to doodle for years, which seems kind of stupid because I know most people seem to just know how to doodle, but I don't. And um, this year I decided to attack it weekly. So I'm doing some sort of a doodle along with um, using more dry art supplies because it's a notebook that it won't absorb the water. So I use pencils. Um, sometimes I use gelatos, which are not, which are more watercolory, but they work on this paper. And then I do a lot of journaling on that page. So I tend to do my doodling first and then the rest of it is all journaling. And the topics are, they come from this class I took from Melody Ross last year. Um, and they all say like this, I know, or today I know, and then it's a topic. So today I know that I've learned blah, blah, blah in the last years. And then I journal all about that topic. So it allows me to couple journaling with art. I think it's so interesting that you attack drawing first and doodling second. Yes. Well, doodling is really scary to me. I mean, I know other people seem to think it's easy, but I find it really hard and maybe I don't have the patience for it because when I look at some of the stuff that people doodle, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to take 10 years. Whereas the drawing doesn't feel that way to me. Interesting. And what are you using to learn? Are you using a book, a class, or just playing well, around? I, I, For each of my projects every year now, I create a Pinterest board. And I go through Pinterest and other places and, and just basically pin things that I know represent what I'm trying to learn. And I copy them. That's mostly what I do. Interesting. You know, I think... I think there's something about e everybody has certain things that are easier for them, you know? Right. So like for somebody, doodling is easy, but drawing is hard. Or for somebody else, you know, pr they love printing photos. It's really exciting, but, you know, the actual scrapbooking is tedious. Or, right. And I mean, I think that's one of the other things about being a creator is the more you know about where you feel comfortable and where you don't, then you can make choices about um, how you want to grow or what you're going to gravitate towards or what is a joyful experience for you. But it's just about, it's not about judging yourself so much as it is about knowing yourself. Right. And I think a little bit about it, of it is also like the self-identity we give ourselves. That's one of the things that I've noticed in my last few years of going through this is that we have ideas of who we are and what we can do. And one of the things that's important to do is kind of get yourself in a situation where those things can shift for you. I had for the longest time the idea that I couldn't draw until I really started doing it. And now that self-identity around not being able to draw has shifted for me. I don't think of myself as an artist, but I can draw if I really need to. But, I think of you as an artist. I think your well, things are fine. beautiful and I love your drawings. Well, thank you. But the point is that, you know, I think that we get in our own way because of the way we see ourselves. And if we can kind of work on that and let go of our ideas, it makes it much more doable. Any Anything you really want to do. You can. You just have to try. And as they say, it's better to fail when you've tried than to just sit there and never have tried at all. 
That's what I think. I'm a firm believer in trying and going after things you want. So, Yes, clearly from the very beginning, you wanted to make it here and go to school here and you did it. And the list just keeps going. So let's talk about some of your planning just really quickly because your blog is very regulated and I'm wondering um, how you, I mean, listen, you work full time, you have kids and a husband, you obviously have a life also, I try you to. do all this art, you know, and your, your blog is, I find sometimes when I have things too planned that it actually, it, I find it very hard to live up to those expectations on my blog. And I'm just curious about how uh, the schedule works for you. Does it help you? Does it hurt you? Do you find yourself chasing your blog or is it sort of all worked out so far ahead of time? It's not a big deal. Um, so it, it goes back and forth. I mean, there's different kinds of people in the world. I'm one of those people that when there's a schedule, I breathe better. And when there's a lot to do, I do better. When there's only two or three things to do, I, they just sit there forever for me. They, they don't ever get done. Whereas if I have 27 things to do, I get them all done. Um, and I think that knowing that about myself, I also, I took this course, I live very close to Stanford university and I took a close course there, uh, a year ago on willpower. And one of the things that my teacher said is that if it's on your schedule, it requires a lot less willpower to do it. And then if it's not, so if you say, oh, I wake up every morning and at 6:30 I exercise, you're much more likely to do it because it doesn't require some initial willpower to get off the couch because it's on the schedule. So it's getting done. Um, and for me, that works exactly like that. If I know that like every Monday night I do X art and every Tuesday night I do Y project, they get done. You know, even when the, I skip them on that Monday night, it's on my schedule and it gets done during the week and it doesn't feel pressury or stressful to do it. Um, for the blog, it's similar. I, for this year, I ended up because I liked my projects enough that I kind of went ahead enough. I have a few weeks worth scheduled for the art projects for some of them, obviously project life is more real time. And so is the life book class. But for some of them, I have enough backlog that I'm not stressed about the future week. Um, and for others, there are times where work becomes so hectic and I'm so tired at the end of the workday that I just, I can't do it and I don't catch up. Uh, but for the most part, the projects are not the problem. I try to post at night, like what I call thoughts posts, which are more about what I'm thinking and some of the ideas. And those are not ever scheduled in advance. And those end up dropping by the sideways um, when I have a really tough week, which happens more often than I'd like. Like the entire month of January between my work and my strep and my kid having strep, I didn't really blog that much at night. So. Well, I mean, that's a second blog post for the day, right? Yes. So I tried, normally my schedule is seven days a week. I, in the mornings, I post something. So five days a week, it's some art related or like I'm doing embroidery this year. So one of them is embroidery or one of them is project life. And then the others are my projects. And then on the weekends I post, um, our, we've been taking a family picture, like the four of us for three years every week. Um, so I post that and other pictures from the week on Saturdays or on Sundays. And then on Saturdays, I post a project that I do with my children. I have two boys and I do a project with each of them every year, um, partly because it's kind of like preordained mommy and kid time and partly for growth. This year projects, both of our projects are related to, the, you know, my little one is learning how to read. So his project is to read books to me. And my older one is taking online classes with me, like programming or, or math. Um, How cool. Yeah. I'm well, exhausted. <laughs> it sounds exhausting, but to me, it's exhilarating. It's like it gives me purpose. I know it seems crazy to other people, but I, um, I tend to be very, I have strong inertia. So I know that if I'm not doing anything, I tend to not do anything. Uh, whereas if I get up and I do something, then I'm excited. It's like if I get up and physically sit at my table to do art, within minutes, I'm loving it and I enjoy it and I'm in the middle of it. But like just that act of getting up to sit on the chair is the toughest part for me. You know, it's interesting because my mom, I, I love quotes and I'm always pinning quotes on Pinterest and, and, you know, I'll call her and I'll be like, I read this great quote. And she always says, you know, the thing about quotes is that people tend to gravitate towards the ones that reinforce what they already believe, right? Oh. It's not like you're rediscovering anything. Right. And the same thing is true, like when you go to a lecture or you take a class, you glean from it sort of what you want to, to a certain extent. So I was thinking about your thing about willpower, because I read something interesting about willpower, yeah, which uh, says that you only have so much willpower. So right. like you have to sort of accept the fact that 
you cannot expect your willpower to last, like, let's say, just for example, for, through a full 24-hour period or something. So That's right. you need to have, like, or find an indulgence of some kind so that you've had that moment, but it's an acceptable indulgence, you know, and then you go, uh, you know, back to having the willpower. It gives you the faith that's, again or whatever. That's absolutely right. That's why when it's on your schedule, it doesn't actually use up that reservoir. That's the point. So let's say you had like, you know, eight numbers of willpower, whatever that actually unit wise represents. Normally, like to get up and go to the gym might, for me, at least use like four of that eight because it's a, maybe all of it for all I know. Um, for me, it would use 10 of the eight. Well, there so. you, me too. So I'm not a <laughs> person at all. But because I like I have for the last three years now, I have been waking up and doing my exercise first thing in the morning. And that's what happens. It's, it doesn't use any because it's just, it's what happens. Like it becomes a part, like, you know how you brush your teeth, you're brushing your teeth doesn't require any willpower because you've been trained from a young age that you wake up and you brush your teeth or whatever it might be. So it's, it becomes the same kind of thing. It's like, it becomes a part of your daily schedule and it's not something that you now are using extra willpower to do because it is true what you said. I mean, they've done studies where they put people in a room with broccoli and they put people in a room with chocolate and they said, okay, you got to not eat. And then they made them go take a math exam. And the people that were in the room with broccoli did much better because they didn't have to use their willpower to resist the chocolate. And the math problem they did was like unsolvable. So they tested like how long people persisted to try and solve it. And people who had to resist the chocolate persisted a lot less because they'd already used up some of their willpower against the chocolate. Interesting. Super weird. But it's definitely true that we, we do have a limited amount of it, which is why I schedule everything for me. For me, I notice that when I schedule it, it doesn't require my willpower to do it. So having that, I mean, for me, it requires willpower to get out of the house and to meet somebody for coffee because I like being at home and it's inertia for me. So everybody's different. And I think it's important for you to know about yourself. This is the hard part for me. How do I make it so that the hard part becomes more automatic? So, Mom, I feel like we've hardly allowed you to speak. Did you <clears throat> Did you want to jump in? I'm feeling neglected. I was just reflecting on the fact that there's a theme that runs through today's discussion, which is about know yourself. So yeah. just like the pick, what papers you picked, what design teams would work for you, and uh, I think there's a whole thread of using the journaling or using the scrapbooking a day to get to know yourself and that really it's a process of picking out and realizing what's going to work for you and what you're attracted to and what things make you feel good when you do them and what's going to fit into your life and that's the way to be successful at creating a lot of art and having it be a regular part of your life without overwhelming you. I agree. I mean, I think like anything else, you know, I think we've talked about this now several times in this podcast, there is a certain thing about uh, you have to embrace who you are, your authentic you, the way that you work, the way that your hand draws, the way that you see the world. I mean, when you talk to a lot of artists about how they found their style, and that's actually one of my favorite guest posts ever, which is Karen wrote a great guest post for my blog once on how she found her personal style in art journaling and I think there is something about it's about like it was in you and it's not like it was just sort of what came out after years or an extended period of time of doing it it's your authentic self yeah I think that when we don't know something we're scared to to, to do that right because we think well I don't know what do I know what my style is like when people had told me before about finding my scrapbooking style I was like I don't know what you're talking about like I don't know how to do that and I think that when you're first starting something, you don't know how to do that. It's only after, and that's why we we take all the classes, right? Because we think, okay, somebody's going to teach me the secret, you know? I mean, I did that when I was writing novels too. I remember I took so many classes and I just was dying for somebody to pull me aside and be like, you have no talent, just be done with it. And that way I could just stop, you know? <laughs> I was like, I don't have to torture myself anymore to try and figure it out. And, uh, you know, and I felt the same way with the art journaling for the longest time. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to figure out how to do what I'm doing. You know, it's only when I started doing it every day and just kind of messing with it enough because when you do it every day, you can only copy somebody for so long or, or you know, you eventually start saying, well, let me try this, you know, and little by little by trying little things, you figure it out saying, oh, I like it better this way. You know, every class I took on, on art journaling, every one of them, bar none, made you paint the background first. 
they all assumed that we were afraid of the blank page and that's what's stopping you. And I turned out for me, that was not the problem at all. And I really liked my pages white. Um, so as soon as I painted it, I suddenly started hating my pages no matter what. It took me two years to realize that and probably 37 classes that I took online. So that you didn't need to paint it. That's exactly. really interesting. You know, and I was never going to be able to discover that until I started doing it on my own and, you know, allowed myself to have the option not to. Even now I take classes and I notice the first thing they make you do is paint the background. And I'm like, God, but what about people like me? So it's just the way it is. If I can give you a little bit of old lady perspective here, I actually feel even in life or in my life, there's been a process of paring down, figuring out what works for me and what doesn't work for me and not sp spending my time doing things that don't make me happy. It's, uh, hard. Yes. it's hard to do that. I think it's hard to, it's hard to trust yourself enough, right? And, and say, my own voice is actually the one I should be listening to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I read a quote yesterday that said, uh, life is too short for fake butter, fake cheese and fake people. <laughs> That's good. And it's true. It's just like, I think the older you get and the more, you know, experience you get in any arena, it's knowing what works for you, what you like, and what you're going to take away from it. Right. And finding your people who feel the same way. Yeah. You got to find your peeps. So anyway, I'm sorry to say it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. Um, Mom, do you have any other old lady wisdom that you would like to pass on? I think I've produced about as much as I'm capable of for the day. <laughs> but come back tomorrow. Okay, I'll be sure to knock at the door of wisdom from my little Yoda there. Um, and Karen, where can people find you online? You can find me on my blog. That's where I live most of the time. It's um, www.karenika.com. It's K-A-R-E-N-I-K-A.com. Um, I also wanted to mention, which I didn't tell you, but I do um, life coaching. I'm fully certified uh, now. And uh, so if you are looking for one, you're welcome to email me. And do you want to explain to people what life coaching is for people who may not know? Sure. Um, it's, it's at least the kind of clients I have. Um, it's basically about getting your life aligned with your values so that when you're living your life for you it's a 10 out of 10 as far as how much joy and and fulfillment you get out of every single day um, so you're living fully stepping into who you are and what you want your life to be sounds good to me so thank you karen thank you mom and as always you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting a-r-t-i-n-g and we would love to hear from you so if you tweet about the show please use the hashtag pound arting and thanks so much for listening and we will see you the next time on the adventures in arting podcast <laughs>